Good morning, church. It's good to see you today. Will you please stand for today's scripture reading from the Gospel of Matthew, beginning in the third chapter, verses 1 through 12. In those days, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the one of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore clothing of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then the people of Jerusalem and all Judea were going out to him and all the region along the Jordan, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit worthy of repentance. Do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham for our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able to raise from these stones up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and will gather his wheat into the granary but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I invite you to start, we enjoy this video here, the conversation I had with a member of our church, Gail Wade, a little earlier in this week. I am so delighted today to be having a conversation with our, our friend and faithful church member, Gail Wade, a leader here, and she's always wanted to jump in and help and serve where we can. So, Gail, thank you for joining us this morning. Oh, you're welcome. So today's story is about um, Christ's coming at Christmas and the coming of the kingdom of heaven. What is it that helps you prepare and be ready um, to receive God or to notice God just in your life, whether it's at Christmas time or just in the year in general? Uh-huh. Well, I think, first of all, we get too busy and we, we kind of lose our focus on what's important. You know, this baby is coming into the world again and giving us another opportunity to get the message and to mm. understand why he came and, you know, and to spread that love. But I admit that every year I start off the same way. My to, to-do list gets longer and longer mm. and all of a sudden I'm overwhelmed and I'm, <laughs> you know, so I have to come to church activities. I love to see the children's pageant and of course all the musical programs. All of those things get you in the spirit, you know, mm-hmm. and once you catch that spirit, then you know why Jesus came. Mm-hmm. So is there anything you still have to do to get ready for Christmas oh, this gosh, year? Oh gosh, I've hardly started. <laughs> 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 yes, I have a lot to do starting with bell practice tonight. We have a lot of work to do yet. But after that, I hope that we can always stay focused on why we're doing this, not just staying busy and shopping, but reaching out to everyone in love and sharing that with the community and with our church friends. 
You know, this text is also a little bit about looking ahead to the far future and that second coming of Christ. Mm -hmm. Jimmy Carter once said that uh, we are to live every day as if Christ were coming tomorrow. When you think about that day and meeting Christ face to face, mm -hmm. how do you prepare for that? Oh, I just am counting on his mercy and forgiveness, you know. Mm. <laughs> I think, you know, that every day you just have to live your life to the best of your ability, knowing that you're going to fall short. But that's why we have the, the mercy and forgiveness that God offers to us. I always pray every day that I would be the person that God intended me to be, mm. you know. That's beautiful. Well, Gail, thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. <laughs> I think one of the things that Gail highlights is this tension between the way the world does Christmas and the way the church calls us to do Christmas. Quaker theologian and a pastoral guide, spiritual guide, Richard Foster, says this, not just about Christmas, but in general. In contemporary society, our adversary majors in three things, noise, hurry, and crowds. And if he can keep us engaged in muchness and manyness, he will rest satisfied. So it's rather ironic that when we look at the world around us, the story of Christmas appears to be about lots of noise and lights and things that sparkle and glitter and busyness and hurry and rushing and shopping and trees and Santa Claus and reindeer and gifts and happy little children. And there's parties and celebrations and maybe some false cheer thrown in there. Indulgence, overcommitment, overeating, overspending. Keeping traditions just to please other people. And a spirit of friendly competition as we seek to outdo one another with the best decorations, the best Christmas sweater, the best cookies, the best party, or the best gift. And then that leads us to a story of preparation that often involves making a long list of everything that needs to be done between now and Christmas. And then racing through the season, trying to check things off just so we can survive the holidays and come to rest on Christmas Day. I've had some years like that, and I don't know about you, but when I go through the season living with those priorities and those goals and those images of Advent, I'm left feeling depleted and disappointment, disappointed when Christmas Day finally arrives. When Christmas comes, it's anticlimactic. And I miss out on that sense of deep joy that comes of just truly being in the present and welcoming Christ in my heart and my life. Scripture reminds us that there is another Christmas story. It's an alternate reality in which we live. It's the story of God's world. A story that says this place in which we live and the lives with which we are entrusted do not belong to us, but they belong to God. It's the story of God's saving work to redeem humankind and to free us from the tyranny of Satan who wants to rob us from our peace and joy. It's the story of the incarnation, of God choosing to live and dwell among us. It's the story of God's work to bring all of creation under his reign in his holy kingdom so that we may share in his abundant and generous and loving life. 
so when we think about today's text, we are offered this decision about which world, which reality we will choose to inhabit this holiday season. And John the Baptist calls us to a very different kind of preparation. So I invite you to join me in leaving the hustle and bustle of the city and the temple behind as we journey into the wilderness and consider a story that reveals some of the different ways in which people might choose to respond to God and live in the midst of this Advent season. But before we leave, I want to acknowledge that this is a journey that not everyone is going to take. There will be those who choose to remain behind in the city and continue to follow in the world's ways. There are those who choose to ignore, deny the Christian message. There are those for whom the present is all that matters and they have no concern for their future. And there are others who are not willing to embark on anything that might require change and transformation. And sadly, these people may miss out on the message of Christ's coming, the good news of the kingdom, and the wonderful future. I will acknowledge it's a hard choice to leave the familiar behind and to enter the dry, barren wilderness. It's a long day's walk from Jerusalem to the Jordan with no shade, no water, and certainly the potential for unknown challenges and dangers. But we journey together as a people of faith. We know that God shows up in unexpected places in unexpected times, and in very unusual people. Our tradition has taught us that the wilderness is not always a scary place, but the place where we actually encounter God and where we learn to depend upon God for our well-being. And so we go in hope and expectation. As we near the River Jordan, we encounter an oddly dressed, maybe rather eccentric man, surrounded by small crowds of people. John the Baptist is a prophet, not unlike Elijah. By all accounts, he lives simply, and he depends upon God for his daily survival. We can assume this because he's dressed in camel's hair, and he eats only locusts and wild honey. His life and his message have marginalized him from the larger society and estranged him from both religious and political our authorities. His is the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Someone who has an intimate relationship with God, who discerns what God is doing in the world, and who invites others into that experience by saying, prepare the way of the Lord. God is coming, and God is going to do something amazing. Are you ready? And his audience is captivated by his message of hope the promise of the coming Messiah who will sweep away those who oppress them and who instead establish God's holy order of righteousness in this world. It is the one who will relieve them from the tyranny of the Roman Empire, the one who will dethrone the jealous king who kills all of their children, and the one who will uplift those who suffer and despair into God's loving life. So those that hear John respond to his invitation to confess their sins and repent, to begin their lives again in Christ, to turn around and return to God. 
Although many of those who came were already Jewish by descent and God's people marked by circumcision, they received John's baptism as if they were Gentile converts. Somehow, in their deep soul, they seem to understand that just as that ritual purity is required to enter the temple in Jerusalem, so holiness and righteous living is essential to participating in God's heavenly kingdom. And so they are washed, and they begin again, and they make a new start with the help of God's Holy Spirit. Then there are the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders and the insiders of John's day. These people have all the right reasons to assume that they have already been set aside and marked for inclusion in God's salvation because of their Jewish ancestry and because they follow all the religious laws. They know everything and they do everything right. Likely, they have come to the wilderness to either make fun of John or to condemn him because when they look on the world, they think that everyone else is in need of change. Because of that, they often miss God's call for transformation in their own lives. John may shock us and make us uncomfortable as much as he did them. When he confronts them with those words saying, you brood of vipers, who told you to flee from the wrath to come? Yes, the Messiah and King is indeed coming, but he is coming here to judge your hearts and your lives. He will winnow and harvest and separate the wheat from the chaff and purify people with a holy fire. John the Baptist reminds us that there is no room for religious complacency and that we too are expected to bear fruit in our lives. God is not done with us yet. Like Ben Franklin, he says, to fail to prepare is to prepare to fail. So today's story is a story of preparation. John the Baptist reminds us that this season of Advent is about preparing for Christ's second coming and about our future life in the kingdom of heaven. Last week, Pastor Barry talked about a story of the future. In his message, he talked about how our hopes and dreams matter because they give us something to strive towards and they shape who we are and how we choose to live our lives. Likewise, John the Baptist encourages us to look into our future and to consider two possible outcomes. On the one hand, there's the possibility of sharing in God's life and enjoying the goodness of the kingdom of heaven all the days of our lives. Now, on the other hand, there is the possibility of being denied that opportunity. The door is being shut. And so he asks us, if you truly love God, and if you really want to have that future living in God's presence, then how is that going to shape how you live your life today? Will you live to see it? I was struck as I read this text because we read through the lens of history to consider the fact that that crowd 2,000 years ago had not yet met the Messiah. And although we have Jesus, we are awaiting his second coming again at the 
So as we hear of John's call for them to repent and be baptized, we are reminded of the new life that we Christians already have today in Christ Jesus. An Advent-like baptism is a new beginning. In fact, it's the beginning of our church year. It's a perfect time for renewal and therefore a great time to establish new patterns of faithfulness and love in our lives, whatever that may look like for each of you. Advent is a time through which God works in us to change our hearts and lives through the power of the Holy Spirit as we await Emmanuel, God with us, and the new kingdom he brings. This text reminds us that to prepare for Christmas, we must enter the wilderness. Choosing to order our lives differently, to intentionally spend time with God as we seek to make a new beginning in Christ. Advent is also a time of winnowing and purifying. So it's a season in which we are called to set aside the things which distract us from God, to confess our sins, and to seek the grace of being made into holy people. Gail offered us a beautiful Advent prayer. Lord, help me to live as a person you intend me to be. We cannot and we do not do this on our own. We must rely on God's help, and so we entrust our lives to God. Therefore, Advent is a time to recommit ourselves to God and to reorient our thoughts and our hearts and our minds and our energy and our time around his kingdom and his holy word. As Gail said, A great way to do this is to fully participate in the church's life of worship and to embrace the many special programs here at Sun Creek that help get us in the spirit of Christmas. But it also means living with an attitude of gratitude, of intentionally spending a few moments, even just a few, in prayer and devotion every single day, and of cultivating a heart of generosity and compassion that teaches us to seek to serve Christ and to bless others in love. How we live this out will look different for every single person sitting in this room. I can't prescribe for you what Advent preparation might be. But even the smallest acts can make a big difference as together we prepare to receive Christ and welcome the kingdom of heaven here on earth. May we be found ready when Christ the King comes in all his glory. And may we live our lives these days so as to see him.